Hey guys, welcome back to the SBP Podcast Mobile Filmmaking. You're listening to episode 163, and I'm your host, Susie Botello. Secudo is one of the sponsors for the International Mobile Film Festival in 2024. Mark the dates, April 26th through the 28th. Oh, and by the way, come and meet them in person. Come and put your hands on what they've got to offer. We're going to talk about the Smart Z Finder, which is one of their newer devices for smartphone mobile filmmakers. And one of the designers, Steve Weiss, is with us today. Now, I do have to warn you that the audio in this episode, um, uh, Steve's microphone comes in really hot, uh, but it's really hard to re-record something uh, like this, uh, especially for our guest. So uh, be as it may, uh, I apologize, um, but I hope that you'll be able to listen to it and listen to what Steve has to say. So let's go and let's talk to Steve now. Steve, I am honored to have you on our podcast so we can share our your story uh, with everyone. So welcome to the SBP podcast and the uh, as a sponsor as well to the International Mobile Film Festival here in San Diego. How are you? Good, good. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, this is going to be a very inspiring episode. And so don't mind me making a big deal out of your story because it's amazing, incredible and awesome and very, very, very exciting uh, to hear what you have to say before you even said it. <laughs> um, so uh, I want to make the announcement uh, a little more officially now with our, our listeners here uh, that you are sponsoring the International Mobile Film Festival with uh, Zakuto uh, because one of the reasons being that you've created this, this wonderful viewfinder and uh, I want you to sh talk just a little bit about that before we talk about the background story that you have. Okay. Um, well, I mean, from since they came out with digital cameras, you know, there hasn't been one digital camera that I've actually, actually there was one, but for the most part, there hasn't been a single digital camera that's usable as a documentarian type of use. You know, I started off uh, doing everything from weddings in the late 70s all the way to documentaries, fashion industry, fashion films, point of purchase, all this stuff. But we had cameras that you could throw on your shoulder and you could do handheld work. That's pretty much my whole life has been handheld. And, you know, now now you get these things that are boxes. They're unusable. So at, at, at around... Um, I don't know, 2005, when they came out with these new new form of digital cameras that weren't ENG-shaped, we were like, God, we have to make some equipment. We just can't. So we made the original Zakuto equipment for ourselves. Just wow. I, we had no way of putting, you know, an HVX 200 on our shoulder. You know, <laughs> you, you, people don't realize you're not supposed to hold a camera at your chest. You're supposed to get it up high on your shoulder 
so that you can people look flattering. You're not shooting up at them. So um, so every iteration of these new technologies, you know, the mirrorless, we not the mirrorless, the DSL, you know, the uh, Mark, uh, what is it, the um, 5D. When the 5D came out, we went to NAB and we had all these interesting rigs for holding these, put them on your shoulder, and everybody sort of laughed at us. And we had hmm. uh, the first Z Finder viewfinder that we ever made. And uh, I'll never forget it. We got the, an early 5D from uh, Canon because I knew people there. And I looked at the thing and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be great. We're going to have an optical viewfinder. It's going to be like shooting film again. And we turn the thing on and we're like, oh, wow, you got the video only shows on the screen. You can't see it through the through the viewfinder. Um, so I was like, OK, hold on. It immediately hit me. I was with my business partner, Jens, and I, I ran to my Hasselblad camera bag. And there was a viewfinder that fit exactly on that 5D. And that. I said, we got to make this thing, you know, and he's like, what a loop, uh, uh, it's essentially a loop. I said, yeah, we got to make it. But that, that Hasselblad one worked perfectly. And ever since then, all these, you know, I'm young people are not very accustomed to, to looking into a viewfinder, but. Oh, I know it's, it's a completely, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a different thing, but it's the best way to see exactly what you want to see what well you're filming. Yeah. i mean old timers like us we only know how to look at because and this is why you know and i i was looking at some footage today that somebody shot for us you know uh and i was like talking to somebody who wasn't very knowledgeable but i was like it's horrible i'm like we're we're coming out with all of this equipment and making you know these these things available to people but still we have to focus on storytelling. We have to focus on composition. We have to focus on screen direction, on, on performance. But number one, if I cannot see what is in that screen, if you take an, a, a phone outside or any camera that you're looking at a screen, you can't see if there's a little bottle of water sitting in the corner there, and that would yeah. flip me out. I mean, I, I need to see the lines. If the sidewalk is curved, I'm going to want to use that screen direction. If you're holding a gimbal, I mean, I'm not knocking gimbals. Gimbals, I, I use them. I, I'm really not a big fan of gimbals myself. Well, the, the thing is, is, you know, if I'm doing a dolly shot, I'm going to do a, use a dolly. A dolly is a way that you can peer in on a scene by moving around it. A gimbal is a device for moving through a scene. So you can peer in on it. A steady cam is a, a, a different aesthetic than a gimbal. People seem to think they're the same. They're slightly different. A crane allows you to move through space and come down and peer into the scene. You know, each one of these devices is, you know, a tripod is each one of these is a totally different experience. And if you watch, you know, movies, like a Hitchcock film or, you know, any movie between 1962 and 1972, you are going to see people use these devices and they're used in a way to accentuate storytelling. Now that we're using a phone, those rules don't go out the window. 
Right. It's just another recording device. It's incredible. Okay. I mean, if I were a kid and I had one of these things, I'd be out of my mind. I had to buy <laughs> film and process, it, you know? Uh, so when people tell me, Oh, I want to get into filmmaking. What camera should I use? I'm like, you got a phone. Use that. They're like, well, it's not professional. I'm like, it's 50 times better than what I had my entire career. What I think the simplicity of the phone too does is it helps you. It's supposed to anyways, um, help you concentrate on the things that you were talking about, the storytelling, the composing and all those things. And with what you've got, you're able to really focus in on the composing, which is the cinematography part of, you know, the look and the field. The and the direction and the direction. And the direction. Yes, exactly. And so those things are very important because they are all part of the story. A lot of times, you know, when we're, we're filming stuff with our phones, uh, a lot of times most people just focus. I mean, I call the phone in a way a window you know, to tell a story with, because everything that you see is what you're going to get. And it's right there. It's the entire frame is the screen, especially if you're holding it horizontally. It's the same size, uh, not the same size, but you know what I mean? The same shape of a screen, like on television or at a movie theater or something like that. So what you see, like in the old or older cameras, you have that safe, you know, the safe space for television where you don't have to worry about that with the things that we have today. Well, I, I'll disagree with one part of that, and it's almost worse <laughs> because <laughs> now I'm told I have to go out and, I mean, I had a young kid tell me that he shoots an AK so that he can frame this both horizontally and vertically. And I said, don't ever say that to me ever again. I said, you don't want to do that. If you're shooting vertically you need to compose the scene vertically. If you're shooting horizontally, you have to compose the scene horizontally. You cannot do both of those at the same time or you are a bad filmmaker. Because Was he talking about cropping it later or something? What was he yeah, talking about? Yeah, but you're still, that is horrible approach to filmmaking because when I look at a horizontal, see my background, I, you know, we didn't really get into this, but I, I'm a filmmaker my whole life. This equipment thing is 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 new and sort of on top of my filmmaking. But the point is, is that when I look at a, a horizontal screen, I'm studying every portion of that. I'm figuring out which negative space, which positive space I want. I'm looking at the lines that we're creating. Every photo, every uh, shot has these sort of visible lines, the arcs of where the images are. You know, people talk about this rule of thirds. That is what creates these lovely lines yeah. that that you can't like just go and wildly shoot something and then, you know, super wide and then hope to pull a vertical and hope to pull a gorgeous horizontal out of there. I mean, you can do it, but I would never do that. If I'm shooting vertically, I am going to frame I mean, it's all, it's, it's new to me, but I am going to use whatever canvas you give me. And I'm going to, that'd be like saying, I'm going to take and make a, a, take a painting that's on my wall and carve a vertical and a horizontal out of it. 
Can you do that? Yeah, no, I totally, I totally get you on that. And, and the other thing that's really cool about filming with a phone is I like, you know, now when you're using the, the viewfinder, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a game changer, you know? Uh, but one of the things that I, because I don't have a viewfinder for mine, but what I do is I'm constantly looking at the scene around me. I'm not moving my camera to as to view what's around me while I'm filming. I'm looking, I'm used to filming events a lot. And I would look at the entire event and frame it. And if I see somebody coming to the right, I know that that person is going to come to the right uh, and move towards the left. And I'm ready for it. And I and that's my plan. But you're constantly thinking as you're filming where if you're using a, a viewfinder, how do you do that, Steve? Okay. Well, what you're talking about is what we call a, a, a one-take environment. So, yeah. And that is a great environment. Like uh, if people want to really become filmmakers, you shoot weddings. Yeah. I have seen nowadays people do amazing weddings. They're like movies because when you work in a one-take environment, that's like being in war. You, you have no option of getting this is a, this is it. It's it's like life. You know, you got there's one no shot. Retakes. Of, there's no retakes. <laughs> and if you don't get it, you're going to get berated so bad. It's not even fun. Do 100 weddings and then become a filmmaker. That's my yeah. or be an event shooter like you're talking about. It's a one take environment. Yeah. So, yeah, if somebody is uh, you, you have your other eye. So. Typically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to like scope it out like you're doing and I see somebody start to walk and then I put my eye in the viewfinder and I sometimes use my other eye. Uh, that's people have attempted to make uh, something like our smart finder where you stick both your eyes in there. And we kind of laughed at mm -hmm. that going, OK, you could walk into a hole, you know. So it's it's I get you now you're using it more like like you use a DSLR camera you know, through the viewfinder where it's only one eye. Oh yeah. Our thing is, is basically what we've done is, is so here, here's what I did. I looked at the phone and I said, how would I want to use this? So many cameras, I want to get up on my shoulder, you know, because I'm, you know, for all day shooting and stuff like that. But yeah. the phone, when I really looked at it aesthetically and I, and I said, okay, I see this like my super eight movie camera where my hand is in a pistol grip and I'm, I'm holding the phone directly to my eye and I have my other hand to work controls, focus, things like that. Uh, it's run a boom. <laughs> well, we, we have a boom that actually goes on the top, but, but the, the, the point being that, that when you play with one of our smart Z finders, it will feel exactly like you don't notice like if I were to blink and then look into my Super 8 camera, I, I, I would – the only difference is, is the iPhone, the picture so great, and it's, a, and it's large. I actually would like it a little smaller. I mean I might have said iPhone. I mean all phones. But right. uh, we – there is one thing that I'm not crazy about, but uh, uh, other people sort of like this. When you look in there, it's like this – like you're in a movie theater. In, 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 oh. in, you know, in the, in the 10th row, you know, it's, it's just it's immersive experience. Personally, I actually like very tiny little viewfinders where I don't have to 
you know, you got to be very careful for having, you know, uh, too much eye movement. Uh, but, th- you know, this is the nature of filmmaking today. We are using bigger devices and bigger screens, and it's just the way it is. Um, so, uh, but the experience is exactly what your viewer will get because you've eliminated every single reflection and you're looking at it with a magnifier. So it's, it's like sitting and watching your TV at home and you put some headphones on and it is amazing. It's like, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to experience exactly what the viewer is going to experience with no glare, no reflections. I've I've shared in this, in this podcast with some of my viewers before my experience, uh, when I was a little kid, uh, my father was a photographer as well out of all the things that he did. And I watched him a lot, you know, uh, as a photographer. And I would notice that he would climb up on something to get a different angle. And one of the things that I realized was that photography was about perspective, right? And so I would, and I loved movies. So when I got my first camera, what I was seven years old, and six or seven, and um, I walked around with looking through the viewfinder, pretending I was watching a movie. And that was when you just talked about that. That's exactly what I was picturing. You know, that that feeling, because you are the world that you're creating uh, sort of blocks out the real world. Exactly. Yeah. You need to see. <laughs> and then. <laughs> then you can really study your, your screen. I mean, like when I look at a screen, so if we're shooting a scene, whatever it is, whether it's narrative or, or a documentary scene or whatever it is, because um, I've shot every kind of thing known to man, I look at it like, like, with, like a child. With, with, and I say, okay, what do I have here? What do I want where? Uh, what type of blocking do I want? What do I want to see? Just like what you said earlier, I want to follow this person, move here. It doesn't really matter what they're doing, you know, or what the the it is you're filming. But you have to look at it with these like childlike eyes and go, okay. Now, if I can't see it, then it's game over. If I'm outside and it's three feet in front of me on a stick, I, I you know, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, I I need to. I, I gotta say, first off, I I can't be. I, I, when you're holding it in your eye, it's like part of your body. That's a whole nother thing that we haven't really even talked about. But it's this this points of contact. So when you hold your hand on the handle and, you, and you're pushing it towards your eye, uh, it becomes part of your body and it moves with you. And that's what handheld cinematography is all about. It's whether it's on your shoulder um, it becomes part of you and you are, that's why I don't like the gimbals myself. Well, yeah, that it's a different thing. You're what's happening. It's like being on a boat for one thing. Yes, exactly. And you lose control of, you know, and now you're focusing more on controlling this thing, this apparatus, right. Instead of just flowing with your vision. Well, yeah, if it went, if I were using a steady cam or a gimbal, I mean, uh, I would have an operator and I would be sitting and looking at the monitor. So I'm connected to the earth, as you say, 
So I'm looking at, I'm in the video village or wherever, and I, or wherever I'm holding a monitor. And now that's the thing that's part of my body. You have to be connected to the image. You can't, you, you really, it, the guy that's doing the camera operation, he needs to focus on getting the shot. The, the cinematographer's job is to, in, is to, um, interpret the director's vision. Exactly. But if you are the director slash shooter slash, you know, predator, we'll call him cinematographer, you know, producer, director, editor, uh, <laughs> I like that. uh, then it becomes difficult when you have a floating object. And I'm really trying to focus in on what's happening on the screen, the performance, the screen direction, like you said, where somebody's walking from A to B, blocking, things like that. It, those types of devices are difficult to be at the camera operator and uh, the director. But you just have to, I'm going to send one of these out to you so you can experience what I'm talking about. But when you turn it into this sort of super eight form, which was such a great form, you know, we made, yeah. I made this poster that showed like all of these cameras between 1935 and now, and they all had this kind of pistol grip that I was accustomed to. And it just, the moment I had the first prototype of this, I was like, that's it. I feel it. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm 13 again and I'm holding my super a camera. There's just something, there's, there's just something incredible. It's, about it's it. gotta be comfortable to hold. It's that. And it's the experience, the experience yeah. of, of seeing what the viewer sees. And I, I don't know how to put it into words. Actually. That, that's the thing. So <laughs> you're talking about, so because of your background in more conventional, traditional filmmaking, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I've worked on sets with like 150 people, crew, and that was still a small production, right? And you have everybody is, is playing a different part. You have all these people. In the, in the more current uh, indie, uh, small indie, micro filmmaking micro budget right mm -hmm. um then then that starts to narrow down into well you we've only got a crew of five you know or ten that's a ton um, yeah but now with mobile filmmaking and you know basically gunning it uh you are the cinematographer is the director more than one director they're the they're the storyteller and the cinematographer so on one side, right, on, on the flip side, it's like, oh, I have the control as a director where I don't have to have somebody else try and perform my vision, and I can work the phone. I can work this. This is simpler for me to do. But at the same time, you have to be – this is why, again, I just – the gimbal to me is – is uh, I was really excited when I got one, and then I was like, oh, my God, no, because I like to know – what I'm doing while I'm doing it. And I'm uh, kind of meticulous for, how should I, shooting stuff. Like I've been in video production and things like that. And it's like, it's very simple. You know, once you know what to plug in here and what to plug in there, you know, your, your white balancing and all this stuff, you're done. You know, everything else is just your creativity. And that's the part about mobile filmmaking, which is game-changing uh, Steve, 
is the fact that, yes, you can have a crew of two or three people at the most, but you can direct and be the storyteller at the same time that you're behind the camera controlling as a cinematographer your perspective and your vision. Yeah, I mean, uh, in my career, I've probably never really had more than 10 people on a crew, and most of the time it's two or three. You know, I, I, know, I did weddings on three-quarter inch, just had a separate recorder, a cart, about, you know, 10 pieces. I was running around like a crazy person, you know, hundreds of pounds worth of equipment. Uh, you know, now this is infinitely better. Uh, but it doesn't really, yeah, I'm assuming that everybody is the director and the cinematographer in one. That's not an uncommon thing in documentary style or one take environment shooting, nor has it been from the beginning of time. That's, yeah. it's always been a one to three man type operation. You know, sound used to be different and, but now you can, there are ways to do sound and picture all at once. Uh, although the sound is a whole nother story that we're going to talk about probably, but it's infinitely more important than the visual. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, we, we talk about that in this podcast a lot. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's a separate animal and, um, for filmmaking now for video production, it's different, but for filmmaking, for making narrative films, um, themselves, um, yeah, I, I actually recommend that people record that externally. Oh, I don't, I don't have a problem with recording it on the phone. I mean, first off, uh, sound is, you know, bad video is a creative choice. You could say yeah. that's my look. Bad sound is intolerable and is oh, it's, unusable. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and I have in, in the film I did light and shadow, I asked, you know, 35 of the top cinematographers of all time, if you could have good sound or good picture, which would you have? And half of them said good sound and they, their job was to be a cinematographer. Yeah. So sound is absolutely critical. And I have no problem recording it on the phone. We have this new boom, uh, on camera boom that stretches out almost four feet off the camera where you can interview people, just walk right up and interview them. And, you know, that way you don't have to mic them up and change their performance to, uh, you know, the pre-prepared. That, that's statement. how I do it because I'm making, I'm not making actual narrative films though, you know, same. The, I mean, to yeah. me, there's no difference. Like I'm focused, you know, step one, I got, I, I, I arrive, I figure out how I'm going to do my sound. Step two, I figure out what the action is going to be. Step three, I kind of rehearse it if it's not a one take environment, uh, you know, if it's if it's, a, you know, a documentary or something. But documentaries are one take environments. Person says oh, that if completely. you miss it. I love that's my favorite genre right there is documentaries. You miss it. The moment's gone. You're never getting it back, you know. Um, yep. So it doesn't really matter. You know, I, I, I uh, had a talk with my daughter, actually, I think it was last night. You know, we, we and we've been saying this for years. All art is the same. All art forms are the same. She's a painter. Now she's in fashion design. They start with composition. They move to production and creation. Doesn't matter if you're making a photograph. My father was a photographer too. So was I a photographer. I still am. Uh, you, you, you start 
you, you, you have a concept, you design something, you figure out what the composition that's, I call it screen direction. It's a little different in a painting. It's a little different in a photo. Um, uh, it's a little different in a garment on screen. It doesn't really matter if it's a sculpture, it, all art is the same and it starts exactly the same way. You, and then you pick up your tools and you go. It's perspective in a way, right? It's, you know, the, now comes the juicy part. The juicy part that, that people need to know is, A, how do I approach this project? We have these incredible tools now, but I'm seeing a lot of work that's not as good as I wish it would be because I'm, I'm concerned that people aren't uh, doing the learning process, you know, and, and it's not to say that you can learn all of this. We kind of go through a lot of this in our, our film light and shadow, but really what you got to do now is watch movies and watch the cuts and what, and, and see why they happen and when they happen And look at screen direction. I mean, all you got to do is watch movies. You can see what the great people have done, how they frame it, why they frame it, you know, how their blocking is being done. All of this is, you don't even need to take a single class. Just watch a ton of movies. Every time I watch a movie, because lately I've been doing a lot of writing, I, I go, I look at the movie and I'm like, okay, what was the point? Uh, how did they go about telling it? What were the incredible moments? Why did these characters say what they say? You know, that's what we need to focus on. We need to focus on storytelling. We need to focus on lighting, if you want beautiful cinematography. And we need to focus on incredible sound. And I don't care if you're using a phone, if you're drawing a picture of it, or if you're painting it. It's the same, or you're writing it. It's the same. It's funny now that I'm doing more writing. It just feels like I'm editing the the project. It literally feels like I'm editing it on paper. So well, you are because you're yeah. writing screenplays, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. um. But but that's what I would say to young people is why you for you know I'm not a, I'm not huge into the school thing, but it does work for many people. So school great. No school, watch movies. That's it. You, the movie is a perfect example. You've seen hundreds of them of exactly what you're trying to create. I've taught mobile filmmaking. And the, the funny thing about mobile filmmaking is like, you know, a dentist wants to know, you know, how to how to do it. You know, people who've never never touched a microphone in their life or a camera uh, beyond, you know, their phone will want to learn about it. You know, people of all ages, you know, up to people in their 70s and 80s and the funny thing is that I that I tell them always is you don't know what you know because you're you're not focused on it but you've been watching movies your entire life and you're feeling things so once once you start recording pay attention to it like in the same way that you want to see it later you know, with a phone, what you're watching is what you want to, you know, what you're capturing is what you want. And then later go put it 
onto iMovie or whatever. It can be anything really simple. And once you start using those transitions and things like that, you'll feel those things and you'll realize what they're supposed to be used for and why they do that. Why did that, the video go all black more than what they normally do, you know, in, in between a scene? Oh, it's time is changing, you know, or if it goes into white, oh, somebody's having a flashback or, you know, things like that. And you don't need to go to school to know that. You just have to watch a lot of movies, like you said. Well, it's one way. I mean, there's many ways. Some people are natural storytellers. You know, there's, I mean, there's not that many stories to tell. You know, we have like seven story models. <laughs> and, you know, so you can you can work within that. Like, I always work within this, what we used to call the hero's journey, but now I think they call it voyage and return. You know, but uh, I like that story model. It's what the story I the stories I want to write. Um, you know, I'm not really into writing a tragedy or you know something like that. But you, you, I, 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 it's weird. I've never looked at movies like I did since COVID, where I was really watching movie after movie after movie and really going, "Wow, it's a very simple plot." This movie. And yet they moved us through a series of incredible emotions to get to that plot. Now, why and how did they do that? And it, the incredible thing is start watching movies from the late 30s and early 40s where they figured out how to do this type of storytelling. And it's astounding at how good some of those movies are and how we haven't really improved upon that process at all. Yeah, I cry at the movies that you would want me to watch, like the ones that you're talking about. I, I'm the, I'm, I like to watch a lot of movies by myself because I cry. I, I feel the emotions in them. <laughs> well, that's good. Then they, they've accomplished their mission. Uh, yes, they have. <laughs> my wife used to edit, uh, be my editor for almost 20 years, and she, and 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 um, we were always like, man. If we don't get tears, like when I'm interviewing somebody, I go for tears, man. My, my, Jens, my cinematographer, uh, you know, cause we, we, you know, again, 20 years ago, you couldn't be a one man band and you really can't when you're interviewing somebody. So we would interview people all the time. I and mean, that's the basis of a lot of what we did. And he can tell when, I, when I'm starting to question somebody and I'm going for tears and I have like a little hand signal I do, which means move into the eyes because, yes. you know, we're going for tears right now. If you don't get tears, what's the whole point? Yeah. I could talk to you for days about this. And maybe maybe in, in uh, throughout our uh, partnership, we can do that. Maybe you can come back. Would you be willing to come back to the sure. podcast? Sure. Okay, because then we could talk deeper about each one of these things that you were pointing out, because we do this uh, with different guests, but your perspective, um, yeah, it's it's incredible. Steve, you're awesome. No, I appreciate um, it. Thank you. I, I want to talk about something else real quick here. Well, not real quick. I want to talk about Zakuda, your company. Mm -hmm. uh, share with our listeners where it comes from and how it was formed, because that's very fascinating. Well, uh, my, my, my family line is this Zacuto line, which, you know, stretches back into Spain there. And uh, so I, we went, I went with that name par partially because 
it, if you type in Zacuto, I own the internet on the word Zacuto. So that, that, <laughs> that uh, but there are other Zacutos in the film industry. There was a, a, a Zacuto audio and there's some Zacutos in LA that work in the uh, film industry too. Um, so yeah, so we came, I came up with this name Zacuto yeah. in uh, 1999. And, you know, prior to that, I had a production company and, um, but, uh, we sold our production company and we kind of had nothing to do. So we were like, Hey, let's start a rental company. And these HD cameras had just come out in 2000, you know? So we had uh, three of these very cams. There were only about a hundred in the country and we were renting them to, um, political, you know, in Chicago, we have a lot of these, uh, this Axelrod and Edelstein. So they were doing like stuff for, uh, Barack Obama and other candidates, using, you know, because that that was the first time you could like get a 24 P image that looked filmish out of a video camera. And, uh, we were renting them to major league baseball and stuff like that. And it was easy business. You know, we, we, we just, you know, rented them these three cameras and it was profitable. And then all of a sudden they came out with this HVX 200 and we were like, Whoa, we got a hundred thousand in each one of these cameras and now you made one for six that kind of almost obsoletes these things. So then we were like, okay, how can we rent these things? And then we, you know, made a base plate and we got it on our shoulder because it was like a palm camera, which like, what are you going to do with that? You know? So, uh, so then they came out with the 5d and that's when things got interesting, you know, when, when you could have shallow depth of field, you know, and, um, uh, we started, you know, the, like I said, the original equipment we made for ourselves and our rental department. And then people started asking us really quickly, oh, can I buy this? Can I buy that? Can I buy this? And we were like, well, we're a rental house, you know? Uh, so then we. <laughs> and these were things that you were creating for yourself. Ourselves. It wasn't like. Yeah. So, exactly. uh, so then, uh, I met with, um, uh, Pete Abel and uh, Rich over there, and they were like, "Why can't we be your dealer for these products?" And we were like, "All right, we'll do it." So they were our original dealer, and uh, then we started selling them all around the world when this sort of 5D thing uh, happened. And you know, our Z finders—we've made these Z finders for every single camera since, and essentially. The smart Z finder is a Z finder. It's basically a loop. It's like when we would look at slides on a light box, we would use a loop to see the slide close up. You, your dad, I'm sure shot slides and you looked at them. Or if you ever had a view master, you know, I think I remember a little box yeah. type of a thing. Uh, where he would stick it and it would have a button that would light uh, with a battery and a that light bulb had a in loop it or something in it, like and Those that. were nicer. I liked those. Those were cool. I mean, like a Viewmaster. Do you remember those things? You put the little the little round disc in and they had like, you'd go oh, click. Yeah. You know, yeah. that essentially is a <laughs> loop looking at a Chrome or a slide, whatever, you know, and which was positive film. So like in the film days, you'd shoot negative and then, they would make a positive and the positive is what you would watch in the movie theater. It was a projected slide, you know, 24 a minute, a second, excuse me. Um, 
so then, yeah, so then the whole thing just kind of blew up and we started designing all different kinds of products, things that we always dreamed that we could have, you know, when we were filming, you know, uh, types of articulating arms and, you know, it was fun, you know, it was like, um, but we had a, we had a sort of a philosophy that we would never make anything if we couldn't make it new uh, with massive improvements or that it was a new concept, you know, like, um, this smart finder for a phone is a new concept. We got to do some, we got to change some hearts and minds here. We got people that think we're nuts. Uh, and that, right. I'm used to that. So <laughs> we're, we got our job ahead of us here and I knew it. I told Mandy, you know, the moment we make this thing, we are going to have, people are going to flame us. They're going to say it's stupid. And we, our job is going to have to be to change hearts and minds because people either hold the phone, they use a gimbal, they put it on a tripod, uh, but they're not accustomed to looking through a viewfinder. And that's, we need to show them that this is a way of shooting that is, and once you experience it, you're going to go, wow, this is pretty cool. I think it's just about, it's just about that. It's, um, you know, uh, mobile filmmakers are constantly experimenting with different things. Um, and so I think it, I don't think it's going to be that tough to change it. If it works and they like it, they will use it. Well, I think that these, God, I don't know if I like the word mobile filmmaker. Because they really are indie filmmakers. They're just filmmakers. Storytellers. Used to say to people, you know, they're like, oh, well, I have to buy this camera. I have to buy this camera. I got to buy this camera. I'm like, look, we always rented equipment. We got the right camera for the right job. You know, the phone isn't perfect for everything. It's, it is a great, it is an amazing camera for a lot of things. It's not for everything. Yeah. No, no tool is for everything. There's a, there's the right tool for the right job, but this, this tool uh, is an amazing tool for a ton of jobs. It's just that, I don't know, to me, I would call it a camera. Um, it's another kind of camera, but I really like this camera. Uh, I just hate saying it's a phone or something because it, it has a stigma to certain people that it's not that they can't get an, uh, an image or it's not professional because I saw somebody use an iPhone 4, and I wish I, I could remember this guy's name. He made narrative films with a, in 2000 uh, with, an, uh, with an iPhone Ten. 4. Are you talking about Conrad yeah, Miss? Yeah, he's the one that did that thing with the bullet where he slowed it down. He, the very, yeah. I can't believe you. Uh, you that's my, one of my best friends in the guy. industry. I used to. The very first the film I got, called, Steve. Right? Yes, The Fixer. I actually, the very first film that I got at the film festival after waiting a year after launching it, uh, actually almost two years because it was in 2011, not in 2010. He made it with his wife's iPhone 4. He made that film, The Fixer. And that was actually the one that you see. Uh, that was actually his second attempt because the first one, the actor had to go and get a, a real job, he said. 
And so he left them halfway through it. Conrad Mess is meticulous about it. And what he did was he took the footage from the iPhone 4 and he brought it into Adobe After Effects and treated it. And the audio that he used was audio. He hired somebody from online to to dub the lines from the screenplay. Um, somebody from online that he hired and he put that in. That movie, when I got that movie, it was like a dream come true for me. It was like verification, you know. My vision of the future where you're making these for the cinema, you just proved it. And he was from, he's from Saragossa yes. in Spain. And How so, long, when was that movie yes, made? Um, that was made in 2011. And I remember that now. And I'm 61, okay? <laughs> I, and, and he's written to me. We've written back and forth many times. I've, I've offered to send him equipment and things. And I, I don't know if it's, yeah. I don't know if it's Conrad or, or someone in Italy. There's a guy in Italy that's also doing amazing work. And there's a lot of people, you know, that are doing incredible work with, you know, mirrorless cameras and phones. Uh, but uh, when I saw what he did there and I remembered it, I, I'm the one that brought it up yeah. that I was blown away. Like you said, I was like, wow, he took a tool like I talked about, and he made a movie. You wouldn't have known that was on a phone. And like you said, the sound was, I mean, his sound design was incredible. It was like a Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and, that's his style. But it's the sound that blew you away, that made you think that, oh, whoa, this is real. <laughs> you know, the image. Now, yeah. The other example I'm going to give is this movie called The Celebration. And I've talked about this movie for 20 years. It was a dogma uh, movie. Uh, I think it's Lars von Trier. And, you know, he per he shot it with a DV can, like that little flip out one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the I one that stood those, yeah. tall. You know, it, it was kind of tall and the little screen flipped out. But he had a million dollar budget 20 years ago or more than 20 years ago. <laughs> he put all the money into actors. I mean, they didn't use tripods. They, they, they made everything, you know, this whole dogma thing was, was, was difficult. But the point being that the picture quality, not great sound. They did good sound, but the acting and the story after five seconds, the story just, pulls you in and it was like you completely forgot that he shot this thing on a dv cam you know in four or three aspect <laughs> ratio with nothing even remotely like what we have now even in an iphone 4 and it, it is an incredible movie and it's incredible because of the storytelling and that's exactly what conrad did uh, he told an amazing story that really all the, I, I remember every single scene that he slows a bullet down and he has, yeah. He does cameras. rack focus on, on after effect. Yeah. That was, I mean, filmic pro didn't exist when he I made that it. film. There's another guy here in Chicago that made a, he, he, uh, Philip Bloom and I were somewhere. Uh, I don't know where we were. We were like at an event and it was, and, he brings this iPad and he's like, here, watch this. And I take a look at it and 
uh, I say here, Bloom, you got to look at this. I don't know if you know who he is. He's big in the, in the, uh, in the film industry in in this segment of the industry. And he looks at it and, you know, we had a show together called critics for many years where we would review people's, uh, internet content. And this guy made like a Nazi world war two movie in his basement. And it was incredible. It was like you were watching Schindler's List. And we were like, how did you do this? Wow. He's like, well, I went to Auschwitz and I, I shot a, a high-res photo here and a high-res photo here. And I motion tracked it with people in my backyard doing jumping jacks in the concentration camp. And it had this, you know, he had like a Nagra and you saw the meters. It was just so amazing. And again... It didn't matter what tool he used. It was just the moment you get sucked in, you don't even care. You know, uh, the final. So this movie that I was talking about that we made called Light and Shadow, which is where we interviewed all these cinematographers and just got to ask them not really questions about cinematography. We really talked about the the, you know, what is creativity and how do we manifest it and what is talent and how how do you get it and things like that. And, um, what was interesting is the, the, the last line in the whole movie, the guy says, you know, he goes, if you've got a good story and you know what, what you're doing, he goes, it doesn't really matter what camera you use. He goes, you, you, you can show this movie and nobody in Hollywood is even going to ask you. They're just going to look at it and they're going to say, it's wonderful or it's not, you know, hopefully they're going to say it's wonderful. Like what Conrad does. I, I could, he's the kind of guy that, that I'm inspired by because you could give him anything. I can't even imagine what he's doing with an iPhone 15. Well, I'm, <laughs> um, I'll have to um, I'll have to get back in touch with him. It's very hard to to um, to get him back into the mobile filmmaking thing because he's made oh, okay. so I many films. That. Oh, yeah, that's so funny because uh, I, I there was a, there was a this guy in Italy. I was saying he also was stuck on using, I think also using a phone. But this was when, you know, the, an iPhone 4, and he was shooting World War II type movies also. And, you know, the all Italian World War II. And I said to him, let me send you some other equipment and you can experiment with it. And he's like, no, no. And I kind of remember that Conrad telling me he didn't <laughs> want to do something without a phone. Way back then. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that was, as a matter of fact, I'm going to, I'm going to, Look, if you go to mobilefilmstories.com, there's a page with all his films Ooh. on there right now that you can watch. And one of them uh, was a big hit. We used to play it in our, screen it in our film festival when we actually had more time and less films. Um, and that film was shot all on green screen. Ooh. And it's incredible. Uh, it's an incredible film. I'm pretty positive I reviewed that fixer on our critics show. I mean, we had probably 39 episodes or something, and we would review four or five uh, uh, internet-based content projects. Um, 
without people's, we would just pick the ones that we wanted to, and we would, you know, go at them, me and Phil, with our, you know, we each have different opinions. And it was kind of an interesting show. Um, right. And uh, But anyways, I, I'm going to have to look back and see if I actually reviewed that mixer. You'll have to know something else, too. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell you when he first sent that movie to me, it was I told him um, I made him a partner at the Mobile Film School here in San Diego because I launched I, I launched it I announced it at the very first film festival that we had. But what I did is I said to him, I'm sorry it's seven and a half look, this was the hardest thing for me to do. I'm sorry that it's seven and a half minute, but our first cutoff it was one to three minutes. And I was like just waiting for him to kick me and say, are you kidding me? But I, I could tell that he could cut it up and tighten it up and stuff like that. So he made a three-minute version for a film festival. And he emails me back within days. And he says, I wasn't sure that that was going to be possible. But you know what? It still works. The story still works. And that's what we screen. Um, but I used his film. I literally would walk around like a like a peddler on the street and say, you can make a movie with your phone. Look at this. I used to do Watch the same this. thing. I used to tell you, because know, <laughs> I've always been saying, I told you this before we even talked about that. To me, a camera is a tool. A, a, a gimbal is a tool. A dolly is a tool. These are all just tools like paintbrushes that we use to tell stories. And he found a new tool. And so you're like a kid running around going, look at what this guy did with this. You know, there were people doing incredible work with 5Ds when they first came out. And I was like, man, you made an actual movie that could be played in a movie theater with a couple thousand dollar camera. And kudos to you, man. I mean, you, 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 you found a new paintbrush. And I think that's great. Yeah. Well, and I was the one creating the canvas for everybody to come and put all their stuff together into a, a real film festival, per se. When I say real, I know that that doesn't sound right. But basically, a traditional film festival, even though it's also not so traditional. I say great. In many I, ways. Uh, look, I, if there's something new, <laughs> I'm using it. That's how, that's my thing. You know, um, I just, I just, I, I'm not going to knock any kind of new technology and, and, and especially the fact that, you know, I mean, everybody says, you know, the best camera you can have is the one that you have with you, but that, you know, it yeah. sounds kind of silly, but you know, when, when we were, when, well, I'm not going to say when we were kids, when I was a kid, the best camera I had was my travel camera that, that I wore around my neck which was, you know, a Voigtlander. It was fairly small. We call them travel cameras. Now they call them street photography cameras or something like that. Oh. Uh, but they were great. And not every kid had a camera. It was only one in 30 or 50 or 100 kids even had access to a camera. You know, a photo camera, you know, even. Yeah. So... Hey, my, my friends didn't have access to them because they didn't have a photographer dad. And a, and that's where my whole, I begged him for having my own camera. He wouldn't even let me I know touch it, his. I know it, it was a I know professional you had. You camera. You either a Roly or a Hasselblad. Because you said I he stepped know. on a ladder. And, 
those cameras you had to look down yeah. in them. So they ended up being by your waist. Well, he he used to do that so he would get the high angle, you know, shots. He would also lay down on the ground, you know. I remember him walking into the cathedrals and the churches in Spain and he he was very quote unquote religiously disrespected uh because he would just walk over to the altar to get a photo of somebody getting married or something like that. Um, and uh, a lot of people didn't but like that. But that's what you're supposed you know? to do. He's, he didn't care. If you just put this thing at eye level, he's he's using these various angles to create emotion or make a point. I mean, in Citizen Kane, there the scenes are typically, the cameras are very low, so low that at one point... Uh, when they were shooting, he dug a hole. Exactly. Because yep. <laughs> at Paramount, uh, That's so, so that, awesome. So that he could get that hero. He always wanted Kane to ha- be the hero. So you, yes. you do a hero shot, you know, now he could have put him up on a flat, you know, a, a riser instead of digging a hole, but uh, <laughs> that's him. It's a better but, story though. <laughs> yeah. It's a better story, but yeah, exactly. You should be, looking at the scene and going, okay, what is, where do I need to capture this so that it's going to be the most, it's going to really accentuate the story. You know, that's the killer part of it. And the phone, oh my God. And I hate the same phone. I need to come up with a new word besides um, phone. This is, this is why I pointed out you, you and I are kind of not in the same business per se, but the reason I pointed out is because Everybody has one where not everybody has a camera. And in it, to be real, it still is a phone, you know. But it's we, a camera. It's a camera. It's a phone that has a camera. It's a camera that has a phone. However you want to frame it. Frame it. Um, well, I have, co- I have one that I use for filming. Yeah. And then I have a phone. Oh, okay. Well, see, <laughs> most people can't, um, can't do that. Unless this is their game. And I'm trying to convince people to go and play this game because I want everybody and their brother to make movies because I believe everybody is a storyteller. Uh, They just don't know what their story is yet or that they can produce it. Yeah, I would say that's a good way to look at it, but... Yeah, I like this little teeny phone. Like I have the the iPhone 13 Pro. I uh, know uh, iPhone 13 Mini, because oh. I don't want to carry this giant thing around in my pocket. But if I'm going to be doing pictures and and actually doing real filming with the phone, I like that iPhone 13 Pro. Although I might get this new one. Oh, uh, I hope you do. I I'm jealous of anybody who gets it, but in a good way. Um, uh, well, I my want business partner just got it. it. He got it today, I think, or yesterday. Oh, the, that's awesome. The, the but I don't like these giant phones. I mean, I, to me, the the pro is already a little bigger than I. I wish that. I know this sounds weird, but for for viewfinding, it's the the smaller the phone, the better. Right. It's because otherwise, you're going to have a little more eye fatigue looking around, but. Still, the experience is worth it. If you can look into one of these viewfinders, it'll change the way you see scenes. It's gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna go, oh my God, this is how, this is how it must have been way back when, and it is. 
exactly. I still have that a four S and um and I have a six S that I like uh that I like to use for filming because only because my thirteen, which is what I have, <laughs> um, it's got over eight thousand photos in it and videos. <laughs> and so it's a little loaded. And I never have time to sift through to figure out what I want to get out of my phone anymore. Uh, it's crazy. Well, now they have these hard drives and that you can attach to yeah, your phone. Yeah, that's another Although, reason why I would love to get the 15. But um, we'll I have 32,000 photos in my phone. Gosh. <laughs> and uh, and that's I I have I have probably a hundred thousand negatives that I don't even have digitized. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I have everything from 1971 to when did we start taking digital photography? 19, I mean, 2000 something or other. Wasn't it in the late 90s or something like that? Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't really high quality then. But then again, yeah. I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing it because it was new and dumb and I, I want it, you know. So I was doing it, and I was actually impressed by it. I, the only thing, I, the, I still, this is going to sound crazy, but my daughter and I still shoot film photography. And I have we an have SLR. a dark room. It's an in thing right now. We have a dark room. Oh, nice. At Secudo. Wow. And we, we shoot and we print um, because there's just film is still film. There's nothing that the grain structure, the texture of it, uh, digital imagery is a little harsh on the skin. Film just fills it in with this beautiful texture that, you know, you yeah. can, it's just it's just wonderful. There's something great about it. But I mean, we use both. We use the phone. We use, but we like taking film pictures when we go on trips. Nice. Yeah, I when I was at Comic Con uh, a couple years ago, and they they were or last year I think actually, um, and they said uh, these guys were out there and they were, you know, using all these film cameras, you know, for photography, and they said that, um, and I said really I have an SLR it's still film it was digital but it has uh, film it uses film, mm -hmm. and they said oh. Well, you need to break that out. It's an in thing. We have a club. <laughs> oh, every every hipster in the world is right? uh, shooting <laughs> films. As a matter of fact, these cameras that we like, these travel cameras like the Canonette, they're two hundred and seventy-five to three hundred and twenty-five dollars on on uh, eBay, and they every one of them sells, and they still need to be cleaned and refurbished and whatnot, and and. People, I mean, it's the hot, like you said, it's very popular to shoot film. Film, the, uh, it's it's a, it's not even easy to get film that much. It's it sells yeah, out quickly. The, yeah. You can get it everywhere, but it sells out. I mean, it's, uh, but we also do a lot of studio photography, and we we shoot film in the studio. It's great because it just it's it. There's something great about it. But like like I said, every tool for every job. You know, there's. Use all the paintbrushes you can find. You don't have to just use your phone. You can use your phone. Maybe you're using a mirrorless camera on one shot. Maybe you're using a GoPro. And speaking of all those things, you you have the you in your uh, at your store, right? Basically, 
Well, you, you have. Know, we don't have a store, but we're we we have a design studio. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you make things for all those different cameras. We uh, not the GoPros, but yeah, we make for like you know red cameras and uh, all you know all the professional you know high end yeah. higher end cameras. We make you know shoulder uh, systems for mirrorless cameras and cages and uh, viewfinders, and we make. But you know the our main thing is we make electronic viewfinders. Uh, we used to have two. Now we're we've sort of phased out one. But that is what we're really known for is our our chameleon uh, electronic viewfinder, which is a viewfinder that you can attach to any camera, and it has it's like a it it's it's not it's not optical; it's a digital viewfinder, so it's like a giant TV, you know. Uh, actually, it's like a tiny TV, I should say, <laughs> it, you know. And you put your eye in it when it's on your shoulder, and you can you know. But it's extremely high resolution. Wow. Yeah, so it's for critical focusing, and it has all kinds of, you know, uh, focus assist tools and LUTs and all this kind of stuff. It's it's used in, it's it's what you would use with a professional camera to see the image while you're hand-holding. Um, and we're working on a new one right now that'll, I'm not going to really talk about it, but it will be the highest resolution electronic viewfinder ever made. In the world. Yes. In the uh, universe. Yes. I mean, our <laughs> viewfinder now is considered the, the, the de facto standard best in the world, I would say, our chameleon. Um, there's not that many viewfinders out there. There's like maybe three people, two, three people that make them. That's it. Maybe two. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of R&D and a couple of years to actually make it come to fruition, you know, to get this type of resolution. Cause the, the actual screen is about the size of your thumbnail wow. and it's an OLED with 5.5 million like lit bulbs in that little teeny screen. Wow. So, yeah. So that screen itself costs like $300 just the screen then you got all the electronics behind it you know so that's really our uh, our premier product i would say is our electronic viewfinders we had this whole line called the graticals but we retired those and we're now on our chameleon and we have a our our, our v3 chameleon that's going to be coming out and it'll be it'll be something really spectacular you work out of love and passion yeah, I mean, even designing products to me, I look at it the same way I look at shooting. It's the, the process is the same. You come up with a design, you, you, you know, you pick up your tools, you you figure out how you want the whole thing to work, and then you you go into production. It's kind of the same. It's like whether you're designing something, building a building, making a movie, creating a garment, painting a painting. It's same you guys work in the industry um and and then you're designing these things for the industry yeah we're we've uh, okay so jens is my cinematographer for about 38 years we have we have uh i have only shot one or two things i've shot several thousand projects in my life like two thousand 
and uh, it he has worked on every one but two. So we have uh, uh, we have we're very close. We have we're friends. We are business partners, and he is my cinematographer no matter what I shoot. Um, and our brains are in sync on a lot of these, you know, especially when we're looking at something that we're going to shoot. Um, but, uh, you know, it's... And it's, you're a director, so to have someone that close be your cinematographer... There aren't know. words I can tell you mm -hmm. to describe that. It's a very comforting thing when you know that somebody is going to understand your vision of what you want to do. And you, I mean, I can't imagine working with a different cinematographer and then having them to like have to learn how your whole brain works. Right. Well, it's, that's why film crews normally, they, they, they become family. Oh yeah. They move from pro yeah. like, uh, yeah. Uh, we know this friend of mine, he, they shot, uh, uh, the help and then they went on to shoot another movie and then they, the same crew went to all these different movies and like, you know, Spielberg works with Janusz, um, you know, and he, he's probably done 10, 15 movies with him, you know, mm -hmm. and he, that, that's his cinematography. And, Who's, and, you know, making movies is a great excuse for getting together and hanging out with your best friends right if they are your best friends you know i mean <laughs> I, I have been on some sets where it's gotten kind of ugly but uh oh, no. <laughs> yeah you know stuff happens but yeah, uh uh yeah i mean it's it's it, it, it's it's just a really great thing to be able to create anything yeah. you know it's a thing a movie like i said anything i don't care what you're creating just sit back, try to look at it from a different perspective like your dad did. And that's your vision that you want to put out there and you want people to look at it and you hope that they see that, wow, he had a very interesting, that was kind of clever that he went down low like that. And it allowed me to see this church in a, in a new different way. Yeah. That, well, that's, Special. That's, imagine, I mean, well, you, you learned from your dad as well. And not many people get to do that, but I did it. Your, your dad taught you. My dad was very uh, hands off towards me. So I was forced to learn through observing him and, and watching movies and seeing the photographs. He was also a painter like your dad, like your daughter. So all those things kind of come together. And for me, I was very, um, enthused about what he did so I studied it and I paid a lot of attention to what he was doing and thinking that I was becoming aware of you know his motive and his intention with every little thing that he was doing behind a camera that's great I mean my dad taught me this thing that I wish I could teach a lot of young people today because the problem with the the phone is that you don't know any of the basis of imagery because it just does everything. And I think that you yeah. lose a lot when you don't understand the things that make up imagery are time, your shutter speed, your aperture, which creates your depth of field, 
and the sensitivity of the film of the of the format you're working on, whether it be film, which had a a uh, emulsion sensitivity, the ISO, or the effective ISO in the phone. So it and I, I run into this a lot now when kids are shooting on film. They're like, okay, wait a minute, what is this aperture and how do I do it? I'm like, you you know you you have to understand that that there is this your shutter speed and your depth and your aperture relate to your depth of field and they relate to how much light you have and when people say oh it's kind of noisy okay that's because you your the relation your ISO has got to be higher yeah which means that you're going to have shallower depth of field uh you know, so this idea of where people want to now, these phones are kind of interesting. They have this sort of fake depth field now, right. uh, but um, you can act now. Your buddy there, Conrad, created real depth of field. And I think some of that he did in camera because he got up very close to somebody and used the macro yes. mode. Yes, yes, he did yeah. not. He did not. He. He did every, I mean, he used a tripod as well for a lot of the big opening scenes and the, you know, right. the wide shots. But he also got very close to each subject while he was filming it. There was no, I don't even think he was able to really to zoom in with the iPhone 4. No, but by using the macro mode, he could create a very shallow depth of field which is what he wanted, you know, so this, the, you know, a lot of people like, you know, when the 5D came out, it, it made this razor thin depth of field. You know, everybody was like all gaga because every video camera before that, the everything was in focus, you yeah. know, you know, kind of like the phone. Making it very flat. Right. So they were like going nuts with it. You know, it was so shallow. It was like they went overboard. And it was, you know, people, their nose and their eye were not even the same. Uh, <laughs> it was, it yeah. was too much, but, yeah. but he, that's what amazed me when I saw his phone thing. It was like, okay, you're he, that, that he did a clever thing. He, he used that macro to trick the camera into creating depth of field. And, and, you know, those types of things are, are brilliant. That's when somebody comes up with a new way to use the device, but he understands the relationship between optics, you know, and the the speed of the camera, the aperture, and the ISO. Those are the four things that people really need to learn when using these phones. Because, and when you go into these new apps like the um, these photo apps, which I am just starting to play with. Yeah. Uh, not the movie ones, like this Black Magic one. I kind of that's kind of cool. I was noodling around with that uh, because I still do more. Well, I shouldn't say that. I do equal amount of photography and film, but the uh, there are some really nice photography apps, and then the filmic app and the uh, Black Magic app are they let you get at these various things like shutter speed and aperture and ISO and try and, also ProCam. Oh, ProCam. Yeah, try yeah. that one out too. That's an older one, right? Yeah, but they're they update all the time. Yeah. Okay, I know that one. Yeah. 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 No, I'm, I will because, uh, but those are, those really open up a lot of, of possibilities of making this thing like a actual camera. Mm -hmm. 
Um, <laughs> We're saying things that we know that are like, well, that sounds weird. Well, um, I know. It's like I'm dancing right? around the way of that. <laughs> it's like I want a new name for this thing. I don't want to call it a phone. I don't want to call it a... Uh, well, uh, that's why, look, the film festival is called mobile filmmaking because in the future, if something other than a smartphone is what everybody has, see, that's the whole mission of the film festival is to use the one device that everybody has access to. So that way, everyone has access to making movies and telling stories. And that's kind of the motto of the film festival. I didn't want to name it smartphone or cell phone. I had people call it a cell phone film festival because I started it back before the iPhone and all that stuff. I was like, I'm just keeping it mobile, even though technically a DSLR or any other device is also mobile. But I focus on the one device that everyone in the world has access to. And, And this is probably funny to you, but more people have access to a phone than a toothbrush around the world. That's the, that's a fact. Isn't that crazy? Mm. <laughs> well, the, I mean, it kind of blows my mind at how many images are being recorded every minute. Isn't that awesome? I've thought about this so often. It's like now in the film, you know, you're looking at 60 or, you know, probably 30 frames a second. Those are all individual images. And then in photography, I mean, there's got to be trillions of images shot every day. Mm-hmm. And that would have been impossible on film. Just where uh, trillions of pieces of film would fill the whole earth. And having to develop them all. That too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. I, I don't know. It's like, it's like, a, a, I, I just don't, I, I, every time I say phone, it makes me feel, it makes people feel like it. And the fact that everyone has one, that it's not a professional device, but it is a professional device. You Camera. just have. To- yeah, it is. And, 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 but you know, it's all something it's like, you know, everybody says it, you know, use a Kleenex for tissue. I mean, it's just a yeah. matter of people just getting used to it and they will. Yeah. It's when, an incredible device. It. It's an incredible device. I mean, it's still, like most of my career in the nineties, we, it, we, you know, I, I would have killed, killed to have a phone over. And I had 30, $40,000 cameras. My parents literally told me, stop taking so many photos because we can't develop them all. Yeah. That's a whole nother topic for right? a whole, this came up. <laughs> I was, I was doing a shoot on Sunday and uh, somebody was said it's digital just take take oh, hundreds God. of them i said <laughs> it, just keep rolling i said but you, you're not realizing this when when you keep rolling now you've just made my editorial time go up massively going through all of this yeah it's yeah. not i'm not that way i like to kind of plan out my shot do two of them maybe you know, if I get a good one right out of the gate, I'm just going to do a one other one. I'm not going to do a, and then I'm done. I don't, I'm not shooting 40 of these things. Get the one, and it's the first one's best anyways. It's oh, yeah, that I've, way. I've worked on some places where uh, where they're like, yeah, can we do it again? Can we do it again? Can we do it again? Especially when you have a human subject, 
it's like you're wearing them out. Yeah, no, to... yeah. The, this concept is is so like you, you, you. They let's do a safety, but then the safety's not good. So then they want to do another one, and then another one. <laughs> yeah, it's like there was just supposed to be a safety, anyways. Right. I don't know. The first take is typically, if if you go with my zero direction rule, which is, I kind of for the first part of my career I was a little dictator, and then I became this a, a director taught me how to do this zero yeah. direction technique where you just say nothing. And people tend to do, it, it's amazing. I've learned that, that they do this thing that I never envisioned. And if I, was, if I made them do it the way I wanted to, I lost out on, this wonder, on what they brought to the table. Yeah. I can always make them do what I want them to do. So it's better to just say nothing. And then they come up with this incredible thing that you never thought of. And then you're done. And I'm like, okay, that's perfect. Let's just go on. Let's, you know, do your safety. But if the safety sucks, we're not doing another safety. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Because you're, you can safety I, I'm yourself. I'm serious. You, you and I, we're going to have a great time when you come over to San Diego. Uh, okay. Because we're going to keep talking about this stuff. And, and you're going to come back on the show. There's no way around that. Yeah, it's so, fine. Yeah, I, I think I I really enjoyed this conversation and I know our listeners are going to enjoy all these stories that you've shared and all your insights and information. Is there anything else that um, that we should mention that you should mention that you'd like to mention? No, I mean, I, I didn't really know what the the I'm not a person that's going to be pushing my equipment on people. You know, right. they can go to our website. I still want them to buy the right tool for the right job, whether it is something that I make or it's something that somebody else makes. I'm I'm more interested in seeing, I, I was going to say young people, but people of all ages yeah. do incredible work. And if I can help in that in any way, I'm happy to do it. But I'm more about the work than I am about the equipment. But we make equipment that I like for me and I would you can try it out and see if it's right for you well you're gonna love this the youngest person that's made a movie for a film festival was 11 years old and the oldest person was 87 well there you go so. and I, I used to have uh, when I did my uh, when I was much more active in the community uh, I used to have uh, uh, 13 to I had a 13-year-old contact me who was doing all these evangelical films, and his parents knew. You know, he was asking my, you know, how I felt about the these different shots and things he was doing, and I thought he was doing fabulous work. And I said, stick with your that type of content. It's very emotional. You're telling great stories. I think it's great. You know, um, and I had uh, several 15-year-olds that we took to NAB with us. Uh, who were who were doing exceptional work? Um, one from Germany, uh, Phil Ernst. Uh, he does all kinds of crazy stuff now, and uh, I, I I don't know. I just love when young people come up with great work. It's just it's incredible. It's yeah, that's we can the best learn a part. lot from them too. <laughs> you can. Yep. You know. Yes. They can also learn from us. Yep. It works. Uh, you know, it's it's the give and take. It's the sharing part. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Steve. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, say goodbye to our listeners. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> uh.